yeah, it's great to be here with you all again, and um, we're continuing this uh, uh, series that Grant has kind of put together, really Jesus put together in the Bible, um, but it's of Jesus' commands. But Grant has had this thought to have us focus on the commands of Jesus, the different things that Jesus has called us to do. So we've been looking at different aspects of that so far, uh, once a month as we've been um, meeting together. Are we still, fe- are we still feedback in here? Is there still some buzzing? Do you want me, you want me to stand back? Here we are. You want me to go out the back door and we go home? Okay, that's fine. That's the best way. That would be the best sermon, a silent sermon this time. Um, okay. Um, yeah, just keep direct. Chris, you can direct me uh, as they're playing their video game over there um, or working away. That's fine. So, so today we're going to be talking about a passage in Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, uh, 23 to 25. That really is uh, feedback here. Any, any direction from you guys before I read? Do you, wanna, do you want me to swap now? Shall I duck out? Shall I move this thing around? Is this the problem? Is that better? Do we have victory? How we... Yeah? Okay. No? <laughs> shall, I, shall, I, shall I go for this one? Okay, we'll go. Sorry, look. How are we doing then? Woo! Praise the Lord. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25. Okay. Sorry? Too loud. (laughs) Mike, you can just preach from the back row. You'll be fine. So Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we have together, Lord. We thank you what we've already heard in previous messages in this series, Lord. We pray that as you keep teaching us, Lord, from your word, that we would grow ever more in love with you and grow ever more devoted to you in our walk in following you, Lord. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we would leave this place more inspired to follow you than we've ever been before, Lord. We pray that you would would come and minister to us by your spirit. Thank you for what you've already been speaking to us about in the worship time. Thank you, you've already been pinpointing things in people's hearts. I pray for more of that to happen now, Lord, as we open your word and unpack it. We pray you'll be with us, be in our midst now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so, quite a challenging passage, uh, quite a challenging command that Jesus gives us there. So I thought I would start with a very controversial, you know, thing to maybe split the room, okay? I'm going to say something very controversial. Does anybody remember Family Fortunes, the TV show, Family. Give me a hand up if you, if you remember the game, the game show. That, that's not a hand up. We need a full hand up. Come on. Billy Graham style. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, amen. Let's tell, let's tell the other sites. We had loads of responses today when the preacher gave a hand up. Right, so we've got a lot of people who know Family Fortunes. This was a game, a game show I watched when I was a kid, which um, for those of you who don't know, it was Les Dennis, wasn't it? Classic Les Dennis. And he would ask people. We asked 100 people. We asked 100 people 
something, and you've got to guess what their thing would be, what, what, the, what the issue would be. So it might be something like, we asked 100 people, what, what do you put in your pocket? And then they've got to be right, 28% said my, my keys or something. And you win, you win more prizes if you've got the highest one, right? So I want to give you a, a Family Fortunes quiz show question here, okay? I, and I haven't asked 100 people, I'm sorry. I've asked myself. So you have to guess what I thought. <laughs> we asked one person who's the game show host what this was, okay? So what is something you can have a share in? So answers from the floor. It's something you can have a share in. We asked 100 people, roughly. Uh, what can you have a share in? Any, anyone? A bath. Flat, yes, a flat. You can share a bath, actually, with your children in appropriate settings, yes. There are both inappropriate and appropriate ways to share a bath, but there are certainly appropriate ways to share a flat. That's very good, and inappropriate ways, actually. Um, okay, we've got a sharing of flat. Share, a share in God's kingdom, very holy, Ewan, very nice, I like that. I think you're probably thinking that was the answer, but it isn't the answer, actually. So, but very good. Well, that's one of the ones that might have won you a jet ski, because it was one of the ones, you know. Um, but no, not quite up there. Mike. A company, a share in a company. That was on the list, actually, yeah, from the one person that was asked. A company. So we've had a company, a flat, a bath, which I just thought you said. Any others? A cake. Excellent. Yeah, I thought that was, that was on the list as well. A cake is on there. We've got, we've got, your, not your cake. You don't want to share your cake. Any others? Vision. Very good. On the you in front. Very kind of holy answer. Very good. Sharing of a vision, that's very good. You, you don't want someone just one vision, you want to share the vision, and then other people can buy into it. That's excellent. Any more for any more? You could, there's a jet ski, we've got a flat, actually, uh, that's going to be offered you know, if, if you win this one. Yes. A car, a share in a car. Yes, you can both share a car. A shared driver on the insurance, very good. Excellent. There's one more which was sharing treasure, like the hobbits when they, no, the um, dwarves on the hobbit, of course, they get a share, they get a 13 shares in the, in the, in the treasure, etc. So things like that, we've got cake, business, property, etc. We didn't say, despite the holy guys at the back who were very good with the vision and the kingdom, we didn't have share in suffering. No one came up with that one. It didn't really come up on the Family Fortunes board. I wouldn't expect it to necessarily. But the phrase share in suffering comes up in seven different places in the New Testament, that precise phrase, or something very similar, like share in Christ's suffering. Romans 8.17 2 Corinthians 1.5 and in 1.7, Philippians 3.10, 2 Timothy 1.8, 2 Timothy 2.3, and 1 Peter 4.13. A range of texts where the same phrase, share in suffering, comes up. It's not the nicest thing you want to hear before you go on your summer holidays, is it? Share in suffering. But that's something we're called to do as Christians. You kind of think, this is what I'm buying into. I'm, I'm having a piece of the cake. My piece of the cake is suffering when I become a Christian. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he speaks of coming after me, taking up your cross in following me. Sharing in suffering that we see in the epistles especially is something about tagging on to what it means to follow Jesus and you have a share in what he is actually bringing you into as a disciple of him. We're investing in this kingdom. We are, absolutely, as Ewan said, we are taking a share in the kingdom, and having a share in the kingdom, a share in that vision, actually means often sharing in suffering. That's what taking up our cross means. I can remember being incredibly impacted 
at one point in my life, listen, uh, watching a, uh, a, a kind of snippet sermon jam, which is kind of when they slip a sermon into like 10 minutes and put some music in the background, which you might prefer, actually, because I've probably spoken for 10 minutes already. And you go, what's he actually said? Um, you get the, the t- 10 minutes of, of a sermon and the music in the background. It was John Piper, and it's a sermon called You Must Suffer, which is quite a scary-sounding sermon title, You Must Suffer. And it completely blew me away. I remember hearing it as a student and being like, wow, this is so challenging to me because he was really just opening out all of the different passages in Scripture which talk about how significant suffering is and how much, as evangelical Christians in the Western world, we do our best to just chuck those under a carpet as quickly as we can or quickly make, that, make it make sense so that I can carry on living my life that doesn't look particularly suffery. Um, and actually, it's really, really challenging. What he says is, I'm not summoning you to a miserable life. I'm summoning you to a painful life. And there's a difference between misery and pain. So many of you have experienced deep pain in your life. As Christians, we are not promised that we're going to have a pain-free life. We are actually promised that we're going to face very difficult things, challenging things we don't always understand, challenging things where God is going to put his finger on something in our life that we don't want him to put a finger on, things that happen to us or happen to people we love that we can't explain. There is suffering that's going to happen. Uh, And and there's something in a Christian's life where you're actually embracing that, not just as a symptom of the human condition, because every human being experiences suffering, but there's a kind of Christ-like suffering in our life. We share in Christ's suffering on earth. As we walk the earth, as um, as we go about our life, we're not being summoned by God into a horrendously miserable life. As the world would say, suffering is always terrible. There's a kind of suffering of the kingdom which can somehow be a blessing. You can actually meet God in a closer way in, in the depths of needing to trust him in that suffering. So we're sharing in suffering is what that means. It sounds like a strange phrase that we wouldn't normally use, that wouldn't appear on the family fortunes board. But actually it's something really profound and important to get hold of. This is what Jesus is saying when he says... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Follow me into the way of the cross. Jesus himself doesn't, in, in saying that, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be a very good evangelist. He doesn't seem to be making a very good sell. He hasn't got his marketing head on and going, right, this, let me tell you the best parts of being a Christian. Let me just tell you the product. Here's the product. If I give you the product, will you, will you buy this product? Will you, put, will you put a share in for this kingdom? It's really cool. You get all these great things. Now, of course, there are wonderful blessings that come. There's joy and peace and grace and wonderful things that come with being a Christian. But actually, there's this other element, and Jesus doesn't shirk that. He often puts people off following him. who think, I want to follow you, Jesus. Yeah, you're, I really look up to you. You're brilliant. You're inspiring. You do miracles. Your teaching is so wise. He's re- often telling people, are you sure? Are you sure you want to follow me? Do you know what it takes to follow me? Do you know what's going to happen to you if you follow me? It's very, very difficult. And he doesn't shirk that. He doesn't try to do a marketing job to try and make it more relatable. He really does say, it's going to be hard to follow me. It's, going to be, it's hard to live a human life anyway. Everyone goes through suffering. It's going to be even harder if you follow Jesus and you really follow him all the way. Things are going to happen. Things are going to be difficult for you. If you really mean it, if you really want to follow me, this is what it means. We see this in um, various places in the Bible. I don't want to go through 
all the passages that I could on, on suffering. Like, it's so frequent in the New Testament, it's almost unbelievable. Um, it's, it, God really wants to make it clear to us that suffering is a part of our life. Um, and I hope that it isn't going to be a, a misery job, me <laughs> bringing this to you, because actually the whole point is that we can have joy in the midst of suffering, um, joy in the midst of suffering, that, that we don't actually need to be those who um, take that on board and go, right, I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be sad and upset, my life is terrible. Actually, there's something that we can grow closer to God in the midst of it. Let me just read a short passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. There's many in 2 Corinthians we could read. Um, but here's where Paul says, the suffering that he and his apostolic team are going through, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Death is at work in us, but life in you. He's, he's saying as he's trying to minister to the Corinthian church and say, this is, this is part of what the Christian life is. It's part of us going through the challenges that God may put us in. But actually, in the midst of that, he's working life in us. We're dying to ourselves afresh in a way. Um, and so there's all sorts of ways that Christians could misunderstand that. And then almost there are parts of the church who've taken the idea that you have to suffer to kind of the nth degree. <laughs> so they're almost deliberately putting themselves in difficult suffering situations as though it's a kind of competition. And you can climb up the ladder of suffering and be, be the best martyr or the Actually, once you are a martyr, you're done, really, aren't you? So there's only one way of being a martyr. But uh, the best sufferer, let's say, the best saint who's going to actually suffer the most, and the more you suffer, the holier you are. We can make a formula out of anything. We can make a formula out of being prosperous in, in the blessing of God. We can also make a formula out of suffering and saying this is the only way that this can work. Um, but nonetheless, we do need to recognize that suffering is essential and vital, even if people could use it to... Um, completely forget the grace of God and the fact that we have been, as we've been singing about, God is so good to us. He's welcomed us and accepted us despite our sin. As we were yet, well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, it says in Galatians 5, 8. So we can get this place when we hear texts like this and, and hear about suffering and go, what about grace then? What about the whole thing about grace? Aren't we supposed to be evangelicals who go out and tell people that the grace of God is so wonderful, the love of God is there for you, it's so amazing? Isn't it almost like you're paying to be a Christian with all of this suffering that you have to go through for Jesus? It's almost like an entrance fee to being a Christian. So you get all this blessing, sure. You get eternal life, sure. But you have to go through this horrendous mire of challenges and, and suffering and afflictions and all the stuff Paul talks about, being beaten by rods and, you know, stoned and adrift a, 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 a at sea for a night and a day, he speaks about. All the challenging, the kind of his CV of suffering in, in 2 Corinthians 11 he goes into. Do we have to all go through that? And that's the whole point of being a Christian. And then we get to the end of it, we get rewarded with heaven. That's almost how you can see it. Uh, I can see uh, Chris Chart looking a little bit nervous at this point because I've, I've warned him he's going to be part of an illustration that he was very briefly briefed about. So can you come forward, Chris, at this point? Now, the thing is, when we hear about Jesus saying, take up your cross, okay, fo follow me, it, it, it feels like a, something difficult is going to happen to you. A burden is going to be put upon you. 
But there is also a text in Matthew, which we may know well as well, which is, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. So take up your cross daily, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is able to say, look, I'm not coming to bring these rules upon you. I'm going to kind of draconianly come upon you and say, right, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. So in our kind of churches, the family of churches, New Frontiers, started many years ago by Terry Virgo. Terry was often very fond of, uh, of speaking about the challenges when a Christian is free in grace, and then suddenly they come to church, and all this other stuff seems to get added to them. So here's our, our wonderful redeemed sinner, Chris, who's going to do it. Do you remember preseason football training? Do you, remember, do, you, do you know a little skip you have to do to, to loosen up the limbs that looks a bit embarrassing? Would you mind doing a little lap for us? Is that right? I mean this kind of one. Can you do that? Is that all right? Is that all right? I'll do it with you if you want. We'll do it together. Come on then. So we're free sinners, see? Our chains have fallen off. Our hearts are free. We rose, went forth, and followed thee. We're all free, and it's all lovely. And so, <laughs> that's excellent. Thank you. Round of applause for Chris there. That's good. He's not done yet. He's not done yet. That's it. So, that's, so we're free sinners, and it's all good. And then, actually, Chris, now you've become a Christian. Now you've become a Christian. And we're going to need some volunteers, actually, of children under the age of nine, maybe? Do you count that? Ten, I think. I think ten. I think ten. Let's have five children, ten and, ten and under. I've certainly got a few to contribute, I think, to that end. Do I have any children in the room who want to come forward? Come on. Don't be shy. Mary Becker, you can come forward. Right, so this is a... If you just stand here, Chris ahead. Here we go. So here's our redeemed sinner. He's so excited. But these are the lovely church friends who are going to help you, okay? So I'd like you to crouch down if you could, because now you've become a Christian. It's obviously really important that you read your Bible every day, okay? So okay. Right, daily Bible reading, ideally at about 5 a.m. if you can, all right? 5 a.m. would be great. That'd be really good. And then let's come around here. I think you also need to come to the prayer meeting at the Jubilee Center at 7.30, okay? It's really important to pray. If you don't pray. Now, would you like to stand up at this point, please? Is that all right? There we are. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if we could get someone on this left foot here, because it's really important that you tithe, okay? Tithings. The yellow, the yellow envelope is coming around. The yellow envelope's on its way. You need to tithe. Make sure you give money. You need to sit on his foot. And hold tight, okay? <laughs> okay, and if you want to go on the other one. Oh, we've had a... Goodness, Chris, you're not going to the prayer meeting. What is going on? <laughs> Get back to that prayer meeting. Hold on tight, Mary. Piggyback, there we go. Excellent, excellent. Now, one of you guys, I think Albie will take you. Can we go... Now, actually, I know you've been tithing, but there's also a special gift offering for the building. So, actually, if you could just... Yeah, that would be really helpful. Now, could you do another lap of the, uh, this is our redeemed sinner. Let's go. Let's see how far he can make it. Let's go. Right. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He's not going to get very far. Thank you, children. Right. Way. Thank you. Good motherly instinct there, Lindsay. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Oh, dear. 
<gasps> Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. You can sit down. Well done. Very well done. Excellent job. Excellent job. And children, well done. Oh, so sorry, Zach. Right. I don't want to make a joke about sharing and suffering. That might be inappropriate, but that's a joke I might, I could make, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that. So it's not actually that. Some, somehow that's how it seems sometimes that you get this sense of freedom in the gospel. You've been released into grace, and then you get all this stuff you have to do, the things you have to go through, the self-denial. But it's still there. Jesus says it. He says it really clearly. You have to deny yourself. When you become a Christian, in order to be free in the midst of suffering, to be free in the midst of trials, and even to submit yourself to discipline in your life so that you will actually grow in holiness and walk in step with the Spirit, you are, you are needing to die to yourself. There are still old desires in you that want to come and tempt you and bring you back to something that will actually make you less free. And so some, sometimes those things which can seem like burdens, there's a way of carrying them like burdens and they weigh you down. But there's a way of seeing them actually as things which help you um, walk and run and skip freely in the joy of the Lord. Um, and actually root yourself in him and following him. So you're denying yourself, Jesus says, deny yourself daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. We're, we're constantly having this issue of having to put to death that which was in us, that sin which actually we are free from, but actually tries to rear its head again and again. So that, could, that, that, that really comes at us in all sorts of different ways in, in our life. An inconvenience of being a Christian <laughs> is a huge part. Being a Christian is inconvenient because God will call you to do things which are supremely inconvenient are not the things that you would choose they're not it's not the pathway you'd always choose for yourself or the plan for your life those of you who know my own story of this year I didn't start this year thinking that I was going to go through what I've been through in the last six months but in the midst of that time of me speaking out and losing my job and actually being blessed by God in the midst of it in all sorts of crazy ways but going through intense suffering as I've done that it's not how I wanted this year to start but even halfway through the year, I can see amazing blessing and God's providence in the very challenging time, in the share in suffering that I've had to go through. And some of you have been through similar circumstances in your life in all sorts of other ways. And, and you wouldn't actually, you wouldn't sit down and say, let's do this. Let's plan a suffering kind of year deliberately. It's not our job to come up with suffering for ourselves. But actually, as we submit to God and take up our cross daily, he's got plenty up his sleeve to put us through. But actually, he'll bless us through it. Remember what Paul says, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. You know, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. He doesn't put you in a situation where you're going to be destroyed. He does love you and care for you. He is gentle and lowly. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And sometimes we don't always feel that. We don't always take on what it really is when we, choose to, uh, when we, when we think about submitting to Christ in, in suffering in our life. So these things will come up all the time. I, I heard a, of a preacher who, who once was doing all sorts of ministry in a, in a country in Africa, frenetic pace, busy doing all sorts of amazing kingdom stuff, healing the sick, seeing demons cast out of people, and he's exhausted. And he, I, was, I was talking to him about this. He gets to, to about 11 p.m. He hasn't eaten all day, okay? He hasn't eaten all day finally gets to this restaurant, his host says, oh, there's a restaurant that's still open. 
and they get him served a massive plate of chicken and chips, which is actually quite often what you get served in some African countries if you're a Westerner. Um, and chicken and chips, you've got a whole chicken surrounded by chips, having not eaten all day. The ministry time is over. It's been a blessed time, but he's very much looking forward to the chicken and chips. It literally arrives on the plate, and, the, and his host gets a call from a church that desperately needs someone to come and minister because there's some, been some kind of demonic thing that's happened at just that moment. And he says, and I looked at the chicken, and I looked at the pastor, <laughs> And, and I realized there's, there's another chicken that's given its life for the kingdom. <laughs> and, I, and I need to leave it behind. I need to go again. And I just thought, oh, I would probably just grab the chicken and eat it on the worry or something. But it's just like, no, I'm going to leave this behind and focus and pray on what the next thing is. There are so many people in the, in the church history and in, in, in scriptural history as well where we see um, people having to go through things which, you, again, are just... Oh, so difficult. It's such another challenge. It's another obstacle. I can't believe they've gone through that and that and then that. How do they do it? How do they do it? It's, the, it's not because they're brilliant at bearing stuff. They're not just perfectly disciplined people. They've actually cultivated something. Of their well goes deep into God. They're able to cultivate something where they go, I, I'm sustained by another power. That's not just me. It's not just of this world. It's a, I can draw on, on reserves. And so Jesus isn't giving you a burden when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. He's just saying, this is what's going to happen if you follow me. But if you follow me and really are for me and really with me, I will be with you. I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. I'm not going to leave you and forsake you. So there might be things in your life that you might be thinking about, right, what, what are the things that hinder me? What are the things I think um, Hazel already alluded to earlier in the Martha and Mary story to say what, that there are certain things that we worry about. There are certain things in our mind that we may need to put down, things that aren't necessarily bad, but they hinder our walk with God. We may need to deny ourselves and, and don't allow the false voice of a kind of false cheap grace to say, well, you never have to give anything up because we're in a new frontiers church and we don't do that. We don't want to be legalistic, so we don't ever give stuff up. Absolutely not. That's not true at all. Um, to actually live and enjoy grace, it may mean you need to die to something and, and give something up. Even if they're good things that aren't bad and that all of your friends are doing them, isn't bad for them to do them. There'll be some things that will be a hindrance to you. Just yesterday, in fact, some of you might have got this text as well. I got invited to join a fantasy football league. I won't ask whoever, who else got the, those texts, and I won't be judging you if you join it. But it, it was the first time I've thought about fantasy football for about 12 years, because I used to be really good at it. Too good. <laughs> um, to the extent that it took a lot of my time and thought and anxiety. <laughs> um, and I realized I needed to give it up. It's a really hard thing to do. Um, and it's a silly little trivial thing. But it actually, for me, it, it unlocked something in me. There's, there's sometimes there are things that have a hold on you that you don't realize, and they're not bad things, but they might have a hold on you, and you need to actually go, I'm going to die to that. I'm going to deny myself this. I'm going to deny myself the chicken, even though it's fine to eat a chicken. It's okay to, to join a fantasy football league. But if you find things that end up consuming you too much, that actually distracting you or drawing you away from Christ in some way, you, you need to think about that. You're a Christian. You're following Christ. You're not supposed to be like the world. We so easily slip into this mode of being people who really just follow exactly, roughly the pattern of the world, other than that we go to a prayer meeting and tithe and go to church. Everything else in our life can often look roughly the same in terms of the decisions we make and how we go about life. So just to challenge you, what are the things that God might be highlighting that you might want to give up or 
things that you might want to take up. It's not just about giving stuff up. It might be actually taking things up that God might want to draw you into. There can be amazing blessings in that as well. So God wants to bless you in in the midst of challenging times that go through, self-denying times you can be incredibly blessed by. Even blessings that God says are blessings don't always appear like they're blessings. Children being one of them. (laughs) Without going into specifics. But you could look, you know, the Psalms do say children are a blessing. There's many parents in this room. And you you could be there praying or they go, look, you know, it says in the brochure that they're a blessing. But I haven't slept for three days. How is that possible? Is is that how much it costs for a wedding? Goodness me. Are they still supposed to be in the house at this this age? I don't know. There's so many things that in the life of how children are, which clearly children are a wonderful blessing and a wonderful challenge as well. Very much challenge. There is suffering that comes with having children. It's a, it's a huge amount of suffering that you really, there should be a long list of <laughs> things, that, terms and conditions to sign up to almost. They, do you know that this is, going to, this is what's going to be like for your life? But it's a huge, wonderful blessing, and no parent really would ever go, oh, it's not worth it. It's not worth me going through that. It could be the same in marriage. Marriage can be difficult. But you don't say, well, what's the entrance fee to marriage? X many arguments or X amount of um, challenging situations or inconveniences. You take all the inconveniences because the other person is worth it. The marriage is worth fighting for. It's, it's, there's challenging things in, 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 in that God may put across you, but these, these are blessings which require submitting yourself to the challenges which come with it. And that's what it means to um, a greater degree in following Christ. The blessings that come with following Christ are out of this world, literally out of this world, and they require us, they kind of a necessity, a consequence of that is to go through the challenges that you may be put through. So Jesus says, don't try <laughs> to save your own life. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Another strange thing that flies in the face of how um, our culture thinks about these kinds of things. Saving our life is a bad idea, apparently. Trying to hold on to your life can be worse for you. Again, thinking of um, um, John Piper, who I mentioned earlier. There's a famous book he wrote called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life, where he speaks of the tragedy of, of some people in, in this world. He's talking really about non-Christians who may get to their, their life. They have their career. They have their family. Their grandkids come along. They retire. They get the extension. They get the other extension. They go on these holidays. They, do, they collect shells, seashells, I believe. was what he, He's reading about this thing, about this couple who go on cruises. And he says, this is one of the greatest tragedies of our age, that these people are about to die, and they can say to the Lord, look, Lord, here, see my shells, see my shell collection. So that, he said, that's a horrendous tragedy when we see people living a life which is entirely consumed in themselves and for this world. There's nothing of giving themselves to the kingdom, giving themselves to what God might have for them. And so it's something, he said, don't waste your life. You've been given a life. Live your life. And the only way to live your life is to really follow the way, the truth, and the life that is Christ. Sometimes we try and hold our life, hoard our life, hoard every moment for ourselves, rather than thinking, right, actually, what does God want me to do? What what are the things that he may be drawing me into? One of the probably may explain explain a lot one of the uh, regular lines that molly my wife might hear from me when she's particularly anxious about something will be 
you're going to die one day. Which again, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that in every context. That's one of the sufferings that she has to endure in her marriage. You're going to die one day. It's actually a biblical way of thinking, as, as much as you shouldn't actually overuse that. But the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us of the futility of much that we think matters and consumes us in that same way that Martha is consumed with necessary and good things, but actually Mary has chosen the greater portion. It's not to say those things don't matter, those things do matter, but actually it's to say that Jesus has something better for us when we see all of those things, everything pragmatic and practical in our life needs to be seen through that perspective of the kingdom, otherwise it becomes very quickly idolatrous, very quickly takes us away from Christ. So we do need to think, look, one day you're going to die, and it will be sooner for some of us than we realize. And we're not supposed to see that depressingly. We're supposed to live our life in light of where we're going, in the hope of eternity. And that that should actually take the pressure off us in some ways. But those who who live in, in a secular mindset in our culture around us are living entirely for themselves. They're entirely obsessed with keeping themselves alive for a little bit longer. Um, worried so much about health that it takes over everything in their life. And you kind of think, well, what's the point of living a bit longer if it's just to keep yourself alive for a bit longer until you die? So there's something about dying to self that Christ is saying, look, this is what it means. Embrace the freedom of giving your life to me. Put it, give it in my hands. I'm trustworthy. I'm a trustworthy God. I can look after your life for you. It's going to be hard and difficult. It's going to be really, really difficult at times. But trust me, I am trustworthy. And I died for you to show you the way. I died for you and I want you to die to yourself and follow me. So there's, there's some myths that we can get in. This is the final um, thing he says in this passage is, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We can build up our life for ourselves here. We can create the best success story that we can. But what's, what's the profit in that, Jesus says? If you gain everything the world has to offer, if you get the best grades, the best friends, you have the best situation in life, the best bank balance you can, if you lose your very soul in the process, what is the profit in that? He said, actually, come to me. Come to me and I will give you, what, I'll show you what life really is. I will show you the life that you were meant to live, that you were created to live, that Satan wanted to draw you away from right back in the garden when he said, look, there's something else. Come, come, come here, have this fruit. Come over here. Come and serve yourself. Jesus says, no, deny yourself and I will actually give you the, your best self back, as it were, without using a troublesome Joel Osteen phrase, for those of you who know that is. We're not saying your best life now. We're actually just saying that he wants you to be the self that you were created to be, the person, the soul that you are. He doesn't want you to be hoarding yourself away in a corner and saying, right, there's these parts of my life that God can have access to. I will submit to God in these areas, but not these. I can't submit to God in these areas. So we almost get to that myth of my life will be complete, fulfilled, and happy if only I have this or this. It might be if only I'm in a relationship or if only I have enough friends or if only I'm married or if only I had children, then my life will mean something. If you're you're, you're children amongst us, it might be if I I only got this particular toy, if I only got a super soaker twin tide, there might be some nine-year-old boys in that corner who could provide prayer ministry uh, in that regard at the end. 
For me, I remember being a, a, a young boy sitting at the kitchen table thinking, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who own a Subutio set and people who don't own a Subutio set. I, I'm on this side, sadly. Subutio was this game, a f kind of football flicking thing game where you have a massive green uh, felt table um, and you, it, it took ages to set up. I don't know if those of you played it, but you actually had to get an ironing board out to play a game, which I always thought was a bit of a counterintuitive thing for a child. You have to learn how to iron in order to play this game. And it never really irons properly. You never really have a surface that really properly works. But I remember looking at the box of this game and going, oh, it looks amazing, because there's just such action happening on the box. They always make the box look really exciting. When you play the game, it was, I think, and this might split the room again, I think it was a complete, it was completely terrible. It was, it was almost the worst, the, the, the most classic version of a kind of oversold product because I thought this is just so much work <laughs> and I don't feel like I'm getting much enjoyment and most of the players break anyway when you get it going and then you have to fold it up again and you realize I'm gonna have to iron this again next time we play I'm not gonna play this for another year but I remember being there wanting this game going oh, if I only had this everything would make sense I had that and maybe as a child you might see that regularly if I only got this particular thing and then this one everything would fall into place and you might look at grown-ups and think we don't worry about that anymore, but we do. <laughs> we, we think exactly the same as we do when we're children in relation to what toy. It might be this part of my house, or it might be this car, or it might be this job, or this promotion, or this 10% increase on a salary, whatever it is. There's a thing, my life will suddenly click. Everything will make sense, and all these problems I'm currently dealing with will go away once this new situation happens. And that is not true. Whilst there are blessings that can come in all sorts of material ways, and I don't want you to think that God doesn't care about things like material wealth, which he, he can bless you with, absolutely, and family and all the rest of it. Actually, it's, it's your heart that he wants, and he wants to, you to be able to be put in a situation where you're not dependent on any particular thing to make it make sense for you or to make you follow him or to, to have joy in him. He doesn't want you to have joy in him that's dependent upon a set of circumstances. And that's the challenge that we have, especially when we are fighting against, we're swimming against the stream like salmon here, trying to bat away the way that our culture works, which will constantly tell us that we need stuff, we need these things, we need that, we need that. And if you don't have it, you're not going to prosper, you're not going to excel in life. And Jesus is just saying again, what does it profit you to gain everything the world gives to you if you lose yourself in the process? It's so easy. It's so easy to live a life where even as Christians, where we slip into it because we're living in by grace and because we say we don't have to give stuff up. It's not bad to have this. It's not bad to do that. And so we kind of end up adding and adding and adding. And soon we realize we've actually kind of lost our way a little bit. We've actually stopped denying ourselves. We sort of naturally fall into a, a comfort mode, which can sometimes draw us away from Christ. Now, I don't know what those things are in your life. I don't know what the thing is. It can be very dangerous to say, this is a, a, a sin for you. This is an idol for you. This is something you need to give up. But I would ask you to pray honestly before God and say, because in, in James 1 it says, if those of you who lack wisdom in anything, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Ask him. Don't doubt as you do. So if you need wisdom, ask God. Is there anything in my life that you're putting your finger on this morning even? that you might want me to do or not do? And well, are there things that are hindering me? Are there ways that I could actually righteously be able to deny myself and follow you? 
and to walk in the freedom that you gave for me, um, that you gained for me in, in, a, in dying on the cross for me. This is ultimately what um, Paul is dealing with in Galatians, where you have um, these circumcision party. I won't go into the whole detail of it, but basically there's some people who want the, the new Christians who aren't Jewish to be circumcised. And Paul says the reason they're doing this is so that they can avoid suffering. So I'm just going to read it very briefly to you from Galatians 6, um, from verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And here's the key verse. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Can any of you honestly say that that's happening in your life, that you feel crucified to the world? You do not care what they will say about you. You do not care about the ridicule. You care about Christ because you're following him. You're following him. You're taking up your cross. It does not matter what happens to you here. I'm not saying you have to suddenly put that on and go, right, I must mug it up. You can't mug it up in and of yourself. You, you, it's something about giving yourself, submitting to Christ, allowing him to work wonders in you, to work miracles in your heart so that you can do things that the world simply doesn't understand because you've crucified yourself to the world. You're not living for the world anymore. You're not half in, half out. When I first became a Christian, as a teenager, I lived for about a year, half in, half out. I was still getting drunk with my friends. I was still not really talking up Jesus very much. And I was going along to church on a Sunday, singing songs about how wholeheartedly I should follow him, <laughs> or am following him, that made me feel very guilty. But I still managed to keep this pretense up. And the reason I wanted to do that is I wanted the best of both worlds. I wanted to live uncrucified to the world. I wanted to live a worldly life whilst still getting my fill of Jesus, getting my spiritual fix, and then having my fix of the flesh on the other side. Thinking that you can have both. You can't have both. Jesus is very, very stark. Follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Die to me. Don't save your life, but lose your life. And if you lose your life to me, for my sake, you will save it. That is the way to save it. So we need to be free to be fanatical, as it were. We'll be seen as fanatical. That's kind of actually how many people in the world will, will see anyone who really takes Jesus seriously. To be those who are so besotted with Christ in our life that the things of this world don't have the same appeal to us. It doesn't mean that we then become holy Joes, as it were, who don't ever partake in, in the blessings of this world. God created everything in this world. Everything created is, is good, so we don't have to put rules and regulations on things. But are we living solely for this world, or are we crucified to this world and living for him? Those people will be called fanatics in our day. Even as some people start to say, actually, in our culture, Christianity is not so bad after all. Um, some, some people on, on some, in some political circles are starting to say, 
actually Christian values are pretty good for society. And when we've got rid of Christian values, um, things have seemed to go a bit awry. But those, some of those people don't actually want Christ because they, they don't want it the full hog. They don't want to go to church every week. They don't want to think about giving money into the kingdom or, or giving themselves or serving. That doesn't really come into it. It's kind of like we want the fruit of the kingdom, but we don't really want the roots. We don't want what would actually be required to follow Christ because he'll just make you do ridiculous things sometimes. There are things in my life that are just incredibly inconvenient and ridiculous that God has asked me to do and called me to do. And it's the same for many of you. When you give money away, it doesn't make any sense, does it? If you give money away to the kingdom, like there's part of you who's worrying about money and not losing money because you want to be a good steward. And then God might just call you just to give a load of money away. And you're like, this doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to care about this. In this mode, I was being penny-pinching and trying to be a good steward. And now I'm just being seemingly being a bad steward, chucking it all away. But you're not chucking it away. You're sowing it into the kingdom. You're living a crucified life. You're denying yourself. And you're saying, Christ is, is all. He's all his anyway. All my money, all my stuff, my family, everything. It's all his. And that's what it means to be fully devoted to Christ, to be fully immersed in, in, in being a Christian. That's why when we get baptized, we immerse ourselves in the water because we die and then we come, again, we come up to life. We don't just dip our toes in. You know, those of you who uh, had the blessing of being at Bears Camp last week, did, are there any, any Bears Camp here? Cyrus says, a few of you dotted around. I can see, I can see that hand as well. And there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of sanctifying day. I don't know if that was just the case in your time, Charity, as well. The, the swimming on the Saturday afternoon is a sanctifying time. And you, and you have this freezing cold pool with the wind coming across. Even if it's sunny, that wind is just killing you. And you have this moment where you can get into the pool and do that thing where you edge yourself in. And then every time it, the water gets a bit higher, it's like oppressive and then a child kicks their legs and then you get splashed and, oh. and, and every time you get the water is painful because you're actually not fully in. So those things that you, fe- you, you actually think, are, it's going to be worse if I'm fully immersed because then I'm really cold. But actually when you're half in, half out, it's so much worse and you feel the water as oppressive. That's what it's like when you're living a Christian life, when you're not fully in. Those things that you might, God might call you to do feel harder. They feel more challenging because you're not actually fully in. Once you're fully immersed, you're like, I'm fully there for God. God, what would you have me do? My whole life is in your hands. I've given myself to you. Then everything starts to change. And suddenly you find yourself able to do things that you couldn't possibly do. That some of your non-Christian friends will go like, why do you do that? Why have you made that decision? It's completely ridiculous. Like, because I, I don't live for this world. I live for, for God and his kingdom, and he's called me to it. And I know it looks crazy. It's supposed to look crazy. We're supposed to turn the world upside down from time to time, as the, as the apostles were accused of. So I want to just invite you as we invite... Who's coming up? Tom will be coming up, I presume. Where's Tom? There he is. If you want to come forward, Tom, and, or your band, to do your thing, just to put our finger on the things. I want God to put his finger on some things in our life today. I don't want this to be a time when you suddenly feel uh, made to feel guilty and think, right, is everything fun in my life now not of the kingdom? Is everything I enjoy bad? Should we, should we all fast instead of having a picnic later, etc.? That's not really the message. That's not what Jesus is saying in terms of denying yourself. Remember that Jesus was also accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he spent time at parties with people. He says that he says, John the Baptist was often accused of being demonic because he, he, he fasted and, and seemed like he lived a holier life in the wilderness. And then Jesus, who's on the same team as John the Baptist <laughs> entirely, is also accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. 
So there's, there's ways that the, the enemy will try and accuse you on either end and try and force you into a certain uh, ditch on either end. And actually, we just need to, we need, we need to embrace the grace of God and embrace what it means to live wholeheartedly for Christ because we don't have any other life. There is no other life than following Christ. There is no other life than dying to yourself and allowing him to live in you. And if we're cautious about that, if we try and dip our toe in, if we go half in, half out, we're going to miss out on so many blessings that he has for us, which does mean missing out also, trying to miss out on suffering that might be involved in that. But the blessing and comfort you receive from God in the midst of that is immeasurably more, immeasurably more than what you think you can get when you're in control of your whole life. Okay, so why don't we stand and Tom will lead us. And let me just pray. Lord, we thank you so much that ultimately you gave your life for us. And Lord, when you, when you died on that cross, you made yourself nothing. You made yourself nothing when you came and gave up your equality that you had with the Father, Lord. You gave up your rights and you came to earth to, be, to make yourself nothing, taking the nature of a servant for us, dying on a cross for us for our sins, Lord. We thank you so much for what you freed us from and what you freed us into. And we pray, Lord, that we would take steps. Lord, but we would respond to your spirit. We would respond to the promptings that you, are, you drop into our hearts, Lord, about what those things that the enemy may be wanting to keep us in bondage in, to, to chain us back up again, to keep us away from you, to keep us dipping our toe in the kingdom or, di or jumping out of the pool. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would receive what we need to receive from you right now, Lord. We receive the wisdom that we need from you to know what it is to die to ourselves and to follow you, to take up our cross daily. We pray, Lord, you would come and speak to us. Come and minister us to us now in Jesus' name. Amen.